Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of One Vision and the last episode of the year known as 2020. It will be an episode of looking back at the year that was and looking ahead to the year of things that we look forward to. Um, so with us, we have our usual cast, Mr. Arun from the UK and Mr. Bradley from San Francisco and me, Theo from Washington, D.C. So let's look back at the year that was 2020. Arun, how has the year been treating you? Um, I think 2020 has been a tough year for all of us in many ways. Um, but I think I've somehow managed to uh, get a few things um, going my way this year. Um, I mean, at the start of the year, when, when the lockdown was happening, it was um, I managed to get my book offer uh, from uh, Wiley. Uh, so that was that was pretty big for me. Um, but but what actually followed was even even better, which was I managed to interview about 50 people across the world for the book. And it was such an amazing experience talking to all these thought leaders across the world. Um, and, and and getting the perspectives for, for, for how innovation is done in Africa, Pakistan, uh, India, Singapore, Latin America, um, uh, of course, Europe and the U.S. as well. But uh, it, it just just those perspectives was mind blowing. So I think that was pretty good. The book is largely done due for next early next year. Um, and the, 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 the other thing that really happened was uh, I, got, I got joined uh, Delphos International. Uh, again, that was quite organic. I've known the guys for three years. I it it was like we were we were uh, we used to be exchanging thoughts and ideas on deals and uh, investment opportunities, uh, which which finally decided to make that a more formal relationship. And uh, now I'm part of the Delphos uh, Delphos core team. So yeah, so it's been in that sense, it's been good. Of course. Um, uh, in light of what's been happening around us, I would definitely have liked a better year. Uh, none of us anticipated 2020 to turn out like this. Uh, but it, it's personally, you've managed to check a few boxes. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, when you say Delta Force, it always makes me think Delta Force or something like that. It's like you guys are on like this mission. And I'm always like curious, like what kind of mission is he on? And now he's going to like invest into the world. Um, it's, you know, this year, you know, I, I feel like, the year started with such different vibes, did it not? Right? You know, you just you look at twenty twenty, and you're like, oh wow, new decade, da da da. Like there's going to be an election. All we're going to care about is the election, and you know, what else are we going to talk about this year? And I remember, you know, not um, thinking anything of it when in February, you know, got on a plane and went to Hawaii with the family, and got back, and within a week. Right. The world changed because it had already started to change in December, you know, for those people that were paying attention that what was happening in Asia. And so um, this year has been the weirdest year of hope all of our lives. I mean, given everything that's been going on. And so I don't know, this this year has been good um, because I think it's allowed us to focus on different things and talk to maybe people that we wouldn't have normally talked to because we were not on planes all the time. Uh, I had one physical coffee meeting in nine months um so 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 ryan from flourish uh, out there working with the bba side and doing spacs and all sorts of fun things uh in the investment community he and i were the only people that met in nine months physically uh so so that's the weirdest thing i think is the isolation and the sheer amount of dishes and meals that have been cooked at home 
uh, is very, very different than, than I would have imagined, but, you know, it allowed us to, I think, collectively sort of think about things in a new way. So, you know, if I were to think about this year and going back and look at it, it's, it's a year where you kind of question a lot of things, your priorities and, you know, what you're working on and, and what you feel proud of. And so the fact that we were able to pour a book into the world through this time, um, like you, Arun, I mean, that to me was an accomplishment in itself, um, just to be able to get that functionally done. Um, but, you know, in a lot of ways, it's, it's, it's been a very reflective year. And so I'm not going to take that back. And, and that's not a bad thing. I, I agree for the most part. I think for me personally, 2020, I, I think it's going to become an adjective going forward. Whenever something goes wrong, we'll be like, oh, this is still 2020. Um, 2020 is the year that we moved from in-person meetings to virtual conferences. Um, Zoom became a verb. Um, <clears throat> one of the most talked about sentence is you're mute. That's what everyone does. And, and I think a lot of us do that as well. 2020 is also a year of virtual learning, a year that hopefully more of us will have a newfound appreciation for teachers. It's hard. It's incredibly hard. Um, it's a year of remote learning and remote work redefined. Um, for many that had not done remote work, I can assure you this is not how normally it has been done. Uh, we have been on remote for a while, but this year remote and having to be socially distanced and isolated and having children and teenagers running around the house, this is not how normally things are done. There are benefits, of course, um, being able to be at home, cooking more, some people leading healthier lifestyle um, and some people drinking more, which is all fine. Pick your poison. Um, but it's also a year, Brad, as you say, it allows us to connect with people that we otherwise wouldn't have because we were too busy hopping on planes. And so, for example, for our show, One Vision, we have been able to connect a lot of different guests and bring them on to talk about their experiences that we otherwise wouldn't have because they would have been too busy to talk with us. Um, so we are very grateful for that. And I think we're going to start next year with a few shows with amazing ladies around the world, um, including Dr. Sue Black. We are very much looking forward to that episode with Dr. Simon. Um, so I think all in all, you know, the fact that we're all still healthy, I'm grateful for it. Um, the fact that unfortunately it also highlights a lot of the inequalities we have in this space and around the society, there are opportunities to do better. So moving on from that, aside from election, aside from Black Lives Matter, aside from COVID, which all of those have dominated our lives and our headlines. What else, when we look back in 2020, that we'll remember and think of when it comes to banking and fintech? Sure. I mean, um, the first thing that hit us um, soon after COVID hit us was the rapid digitalization that, uh, that followed because organizations had to be operationally back on their feet, so they had to go digital. Um, and and uh, it's just not fintech. It's it's uh, it's across across industries that's happened and still happening. Um, and we've seen perhaps uh, four or five years of uh, efforts uh, squashed into a year, much like what happened with the vaccines. 
So um, I think that's one of the biggest thing uh, that I can think of. Um, in terms of um, fintech, uh, as as digitalization happened, there's, there's, we we saw the the Robinhood generation that that took shape this year, and uh, uh, whether it's I don't know if it's creating a systemic issue or not, but that's for for the future. We will see that uh, quite quite soon with the system starting to uh, tell us uh, give us that feedback. But I think uh, there's been some serious overvaluation with. Zoom, Tesla, Peloton, and the usual suspects of of uh, of the equities market, um, and and we basically seeing quite a lot of um, cheap cash going into that, but also being catalyzed by the Robinhood generation. So we don't know what what percentage of that is definitely both involved in uh, both these factors contributing to the crazy valuations happening on um, in the especially in the U.S. equities market. Um, the the other key thing for me for this year was uh, Starling turning profits. We we spoke about it in one of our previous ep- episodes, and shortly after Revolut also uh, managed to get there. And I think there needs to be a drive towards prof- profitability um, for the for the next twelve to eighteen months before we start start hearing news about their IPOs as well. Um, I'll pause there. I'm sure I don't want to take all the points away from Brad. So Brad, over to you. No, I just, you know, there's, there's, there's still an awful lot of money going into fintech. And I think it's interesting the amount of money that's gone into sort of the infrastructure building of fintech, whether it's payment rails or banking as a service or sort of this next um, generation of moving money and creating accounts. And we have Move, I-O, M-O-O-V, the, the folks who founded and are building out at Move uh, on the episode in a couple of weeks. And when you you think about you know the the sheer amount like like I think it was um, and Jason put they were lead investor on forty eight million dollars going into move I think is what the number was and just the last week I mean you've had IPOs just to, today and this will be dropping next week but um, so a week ago at this point you'll have the IPO from Upstart right so I remember visiting the offices of Upstart and talking about their algorithm to do lending and you know I thought oh this is a good business but you know I didn't think it'd be like a two billion dollar plus business. And then you're looking at um, all the IPOs in other sectors from DoorDash and others. And, you know, I'm glad the IPO is back. We need more companies that go actually to the market and go to regular consumers, not just people that are going to benefit from, you know, being early investors in some of these companies. And I think that's that's the key difference in the way that um, we, we look at that market. And then we have SPACs that are taking companies public in new ways. And there's a lot of a lot of money, like billions of dollars going into these that have been around for six or seven years, I believe, in terms of a a fiduciary function. But, you know, at the end of the day, you still have really, really rich people getting really, really rich. And, you know, that to me in the space is something that we need to do more of. And so, you know, Robin Hood just today got a class actions or a a state-led security regulator in Massachusetts taking an action saying that they're not um, doing anything to really be fiduciaries to their clients. And so they have said that they're exposing young and experienced investors to unnecessary trading risk. Well, we want people in the market. We want people to be able to invest and actually build their income. And we want FinTech to be leading that charge, but we don't want that type of charge to be led. So, you know, let's just do everything we can to democratize the creation of wealth and uh, the income side regardless of what that looks like. But uh, lots of opportunities in the space in 2021 is going to be 
gangbusters for fintech. Absolutely. Democratize. That's a word that I I didn't think we would hear anymore. I thought that was like from what three four years ago, wasn't it? When fintechs are all out and they say we're going to democratize D- democratization as a service. That's that's 2021's buzzword. I thought, oh wow, okay, we should do a buzzword bingo because we did like the whole unbundling and rebundling and all of that. So embedding and embedding. Yes, how can we forget about embedding? Thank you. We did a few episodes on on embedded finance and. Uh, the roles that big techs will play. Speaking of big techs, though, Google and uh, and Amazon have been really busy and for super future. Speaking of big techs, so looking at what Google and Amazon have been doing in the United States next year will be something really interesting to watch as to how they are going to continue, quote unquote, disrupt the financial services industry. As far as their position in EU is concerned, though, it seems like they are going to start running into a little bit of roadblocks, shall we say from a regulation and how big can they get perspective? Um, yes, uh, going to be more data protection laws and, and, and Europe is going to be have They have been this, this part of the world have been traditionally conservative in, in, in dealing with the, the top tech firms. Um, so they are going to struggle, but I personally don't think it's much of an issue for the big techs because they have um, their eyes on, on Asia as a big prize. Um, I mean, for instance, uh, WhatsApp got the approval uh, to to do uh, payments in India, for instance, this year. So, um, I mean, Europe is no longer the priced uh, market anymore. When 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 there are larger markets, faster growing markets for these big techs, in my opinion. So, um, I think that that probably the focus has to be where the growth is. Um, um, while while they probably need to kind of fine tune their strategy, their, uh, the, the regulatory engagement aspects, um, and probably even the data protection policies for this part of the world, um, um, and, and, uh, and, and have more moderate expectations for growth in this part of the world. I think that's what will happen. Um, but I, I don't see, uh, I mean, I think probably 2021 will, will be the year where big techs will take on the big banks in, in, a, in a much more aggressive fashion. So far, they've been almost just the distribution channels, um, and and uh, and I think now it's going to be much more uh, closer uh, closer to home for the banks, and they'll probably start feeling more uncomfortable. Uh, let's see, let's see how it goes. It's going to be an interesting year. Do Do you think though, you know, that that the EU is going to sort of clamp down in a in a substantial way outside of just data protection? Because I look at, you know, look at look at um, Facebook's. Uh, the ask to basically get rid of, you know, Instagram and WhatsApp, you know, that that's, that they came out the FTC says, well, you know, we're going to have to have that broken up. I mean, do you think that there's really any chance that that's actually going to happen? And then do we look at, there's 37 states that are now suing Google in terms of the way that they monopolize um, data spend and um, advertisement, you know, is, is there going to be any, any actual clampdown? Of, of any of these big companies, you know, whether it's Amazon or Google or Facebook or any of the others. I mean, Apple is the only one who seems to kind of get out of this because of the way that they look at data and really change the relationship with the customer.
Yeah, if you look at the big techs, right, I think the Apple and, and Microsoft of the world, they kind of take a slightly different approach when it comes to treating how they treat data and how they treat users. Um, Google, it used to, they, didn't they used to have the slogan, um, do no evil? I think that was long gone. Don't be evil. And they, they took it evil. away. Yeah, they took they it away because, you know, they, they realized they were kind of evil, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I think that's an interesting space. But, right, we did talk about this a little bit um, with regards to, to regulation, right, with regards to OCC. Do you really think that Google and, and Amazon's of the world actually want to be a bank? No, I don't think any of them want to be a bank. And I think that the change in, in what we're seeing with both the OCC and the FDIC sort of both expanding charters and then allowing for deposits by fintechs not to be considered broker deposits and have additional sort of regulation and limits on them is going to open up the U.S. to be a much more innovative space in terms of both the creation of challenger banks and bank-like services that are driven through fintech apps. And so one of the things that you've seen just in the last few months is the sheer amount of funding into, you know, Chime, Moneyline, Vero kind of startups that had the capacity to be, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 plus million users. So I don't think that big tech will dominate, you know, sort of the banking scene in the next decade. I really, truly, truly don't because they don't want to be banks, but at the same time, they will actively be looking at growing startups that have the ability to create a financial relationship for five, 10 plus million, right? And then either act as sort of a, a mechanism to sort of ride on top of that success or simply acquire them, you know, because they don't need to be banks. Uh, I would like to tweak that and, and challenge you a little bit, Brad, on that. Um, I don't think anyone, any business wants to be in the banking space at this point. Um, for, for me, I think what, what the big techs would want to do is offer financial services. Now, uh, the, the reason I think they would get into financial services in a more subtle way is through acquisitions, one. Um, the moment they start doing those the kind of consolidation uh, of these capabilities, they have the data and they have capability and they have the distribution network. Um, so they really, I mean, whether they will take deposits or not is a different question. And that if you, that's how you're defining a bank, that's a that's a, I understand. I understand Google is not going to be a bank in that that sense, but I think they will get into financial services in a much bigger yeah, but, way. But, but offering loans, you know, like Amazon does to small businesses and in some cases consumers, to me, isn't being in banks, right? They're they're in the the profit side of banks, and if that's the case, then I think that we need to redefine what a bank is because if we're just talking about the profitability side of it, then sure, credits and payments, that's where all the money's at, and there's no money on deposits, and there's no money. Well, there's a lot of money actually on the wealth creation side. So when you look at the facets or the stools, what am I trying to say, the, 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 the pegs on a stool in, in the way that banks make money, you have a lot of ways that tech companies could come in and make money off of banking and banking users and banking data. Absolutely. The boring part of that, as we've talked about again and again and again, is that they always come back to this place of, we're going to make money because we're going to use your personal data and we're going to sell you ads. And I'm like, that's what's ruined things like Instagram. That's what's ruined things like TikTok or eventually will. And that's what ruins pretty much every technology is that it comes down to creating and selling ads, which is so, so boring. So let's make banking exciting again in 2021. Let's build up the infrastructure so that everybody can embed banking everywhere, but let's actually not just focus on payments and credit, and let's focus on the other things that make banking actually something that people can be helped by. 
So, so I don't disagree with you at all that the big technology companies are going to come in. They're just coming in it from the wrong angle, which is why I have my hopes that Apple will step up and really, really focus on creation of savings and wealth and uh, long-term financial inclusion and long-term financial wellness. So there, I've said my piece. I think we can call this episode Let's Make Banking Sexy again. Brad, what do you think? You know what? I, we just can't get away from that word when we're talking about banking because <laughs> oh, it is you know, fintech. I, I actually, I remember saying that at, at Finnovate years and years ago, and people were looking at me like, okay, fintech sexy. That's great. That was 10 years ago. Yeah. I think we actually just proved that one out. Okay. This is a pin drop moment, my friend. I don't even know how to come back to that one. But there is one thing I do want to go back to, though, when earlier you were talking about there is so much money going around. I would caveat that as saying there is so much money going around as long as you don't belong to a particular gender. Let's go back to that fintech is though a boys club. Come at me, if you will. I know you guys will. Only 7% of founders are women who got who are in fintech and women founded fintechs have raised only 1% of the total fintech dollars. So yes, there's a lot of money. So come on, let's write checks for the people that have brains that are smart, that are interesting, that can make the industry sexy again, regardless of the color of their skin and regardless of their gender. There's a whole lot more we can do and regardless of their age. Let's do something for the older adults. Um, for those of you who listen, and know that that's something that we are also very passionate about. And if you look at COVID-19, you look at the impact of people in the community, older adults are more impacted than others. People of color are more impacted than others. Rural communities, those that do not have digital access, they are more impacted by others. When we talk about money, we talk about inclusion. Let's also think about inclusion from a digital perspective, digital inclusion. Let's get them on the network. Yeah, um, I was looking uh, days ago, um, and this was largely an emerging markets focused uh, research. And I was looking at a comparison between um, men and women in terms of financial inclusion. And across Asia, Latin America, and Africa, there is a consistent, consistent gap. Men typically have a 10, 12% lead over women in financial inclusion in this part of the world. But what I find frustrating is when you have a digital financial service um, being tracked across these two generations, the, the gap is even wider. So if you see a 9% gap in Latin America between um, account holders, you see a 15% gap uh, in Latin America for digital payments uh, between the two genders. And, and that is frustrating, which means um, women don't have digital inclusion as much as men. So, and I'm sure this is the same same across the world. It is not just emerging markets. So uh, it's uh, I mean it's it's a it's a hard uh, thing to kind of digest personally for me. Um, and uh, I mean personally because I'm father of two uh, daughters. Uh, but I think um, I don't think it should. This should be the case. I mean, and and I've been having several conversations in the emerging markets context thanks i mean with with in, in light of my recent uh, uh job and again there is 
uh, this happens in emerging markets as well, where I hear one instance where um, a firm was, I can't give the names away, but uh, a firm was offered uh, $20 million by one of the top foundations uh, to go and um, help uh, or give grants uh, to uh, women farmers in Africa. And when they tried to do it, the men were kind of elbowing the women out uh, to, to somehow kind of create a picture or create a view that a perception that there weren't enough women farmers to kind of take the 20 million away um, or, or deploy the 20 million. And these guys are trying their best to actually find women farmers and get to them and, and make sure they are, they are benefiting out of it. But it shouldn't have to be this hard. Uh, and and uh, yeah, so I, that said, um, I, I want to finish the year on a very high note. Uh, we've had uh, Jane Fraser, uh, we've had uh, Jacinta Adan, uh, we've had, um, uh, I mean, uh, Shailaja in Kerala in India, who was she was leading uh, um, Kerala's efforts uh, towards COVID, and so many other inspiring women leaders uh coming to the front forefront this year i've i mean i've seen so many headlines about women leaders this year than most other years uh before this so um i'm really hopeful because we are now trying to attack the problem top down um and, and i think that would start to bring bring change more systematically so i I, I like the positive notes that Arun always brings us back to because that's what gives us hope. Um, he always, he has the unique talent of pulling me back from a black hole whenever I start falling down. So thank you for that, my friends. Um, it is indeed a year, hopefully, that you know, with the vaccine, we will eventually be able to meet each other again and reconnect with everyone. Um, recently, we ran an article on FinTech Genie and what would people like to see in 2021? And, and, and by and large, that and, and another article that our friends at FinTech Talents just ran this week, everyone said, we miss people. We miss connection. We miss being able to see friends. We miss being able to visit families. We miss see serendipity moments in events and meetings around the corner coffee shop. We miss being able to say hi to people, a hug, a handshake, all of those. Um, and so hopefully sometime in 2021, we will be able to get back to that. No, we're not going to go back to the old normal because the old normal does not work for a lot of people. Let's create a new normal, a new one that will change more inclusive, a new one that there will be so many women leaders that are taking positions that we start forgetting their names because it's irrelevant. We in a new normal where we have more people that are being included in funding. There are more people that are being considered um, to be leaders to do amazing things, regardless of where they live, regardless of how they look, regardless of their abilities, regardless of their age and their gender. Um, let's let's hope for that, hope for a better 2021, um, and hopefully everyone will stay safe. Stay healthy, and we will talk to you all next year. For that, thank you so much for listening in to another episode of Vision.